Uh, we will be beginning chapter 4 tonight, looking to make it through the first six verses. 1 Peter 4, 1 to 6. How about I open by reading that passage and then giving a word of prayer. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you so much for tonight, for our opportunity to be together and to look into your word, to study and grow and be encouraged. We thank of those who are unable to be here for the masts dealing with sickness, the stuckers who will be on their way in a few days, uh, and for others who are traveling or sick or just otherwise couldn't make it, Lord, we ask your special mercies on them, that they would be encouraged tonight and that we would connect again with them soon, uh, that we would all be uh, edified but through one another. And Lord, we ask that as we look into your word tonight, you would encourage us and teach us how to better serve you in the days ahead. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, big idea tonight, this life is for serving God alone. Don't go back to who you were. And we'll see that in our, in our passage. <clears throat> and hopefully you noticed in chapter 4, the very first thing you see in chapter 4 is what word? Therefore. All right. So that means he's connecting his ideas together. These aren't just random thoughts thrown onto a page, but there are uh, connections here. Therefore, in light of Christ's great victory... And our cleansing in Him. That's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. Run your eyes back up to verse, uh, or chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, talking about Jesus going and making proclamation to the spirits now in prison and for the uh, cleansing that we have by baptism. Talked about that over the last few weeks. In light of this great victory of Christ and our cleansing in Him, therefore... Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, now we're going back even further into chapter 3. Look at, cha look at chapter 3, verse 17, where he says, For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So all these themes that were culminating there at the end of chapter 3, in light of these things, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. And so Peter's going to get into the purpose of suffering, the point of suffering, and he's using, again, Christ's suffering as a theme. Christ's suffering, what Jesus went through, is a model for us in our suffering. And if you've... Um, 
if, if you've caught it so far in this passage, as we've just read through it once tonight, but maybe this passage is familiar to you, he's telling them to stop their sinning as an escape from suffering. Don't go back into your ways of sinning so that way you can get away from the suffering that faces you as a Christian, but instead claim the suffering that is there for you as a Christian. If you've read through the book of Proverbs, you know that the author there makes it clear that enough sin will lead to death and destruction. Enough foolishness will lead to suffering, basically. But here we're seeing that sin and foolishness can actually be escapes from other types of suffering. Here they are as Christians being persecuted. They're suffering because of their faith. And they could change that state if they would just go back to the way they were before. If they would just go back and join everybody just like the good old days, just like in times past, then everyone would just drop this whole Jesus thing and they'd be scot-free. But here Peter's saying, don't do that, but lay hold to what is in front of you, which is suffering for the sake of Christ. And he calls them to arm themselves. What do you think of when you hear that phrase, arm yourself? What, where would you hear that phrase? Oh, wow. That's not what I was thinking, but you were both thinking it, so that's great. Um, what passage in Ephesians? Okay, what's... Yeah, the armor of God, okay. And that has to do, of course, when someone puts on armor, that person's going out to battle, going to do battle. And this verb of arm, arm yourselves, is a military word. It means to grab, to lay hold of something that you'll use in battle. And so Peter is here calling them to that same type of idea, to equip themselves with weapons for battle. And they're to arm themselves with the weapon of purpose. You see that? Arm yourselves with the same purpose, the purpose of Christ. And the term purpose refers to the intentions of our heart. You know, we we get that, right? You set out to do something with purpose. That's your intention. It's also our motivation. So Peter here is calling them to, for the battle that's ahead, the spiritual battle, they are to be equipped with the same motivation or the same intent as Christ himself. We are to appeal to the motivations of Christ to shape our motivations in this life here and now. And he goes on to add this phrase, arm yourselves with that same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now that kind of seems like a strange direction to take it, but again, thinking of their situation where, you know, they've lived a life of sin, lived a life with the world, now they've become Christians, and he's saying, look, you've got this Christ life that's been given to you. God's will is set before you to live for Him. And then you've got your former self, and he's about to list those sins. You've, You've got that former life, and it's tempting to go back to that former life so that you don't face the challenges of living as a Christian. And he's saying, no, the if you have the motivation of Christ, you have the the motivation of ceasing from sin and to do the will of God. Because out of all the things we could say about the motivations of Christ, all the wonderful things we could say, the motivations of Christ were at least selfless and humble, given over to the will of God totally, completely. Uh, Jesus never did anything that was rooted in self-service, did He? For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. 
and to give His life a ransom for many. Okay? And verse 2 makes that clear in saying, this is what you are to do. Live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for all those sins, the lust of men, but for the will of God. So this life is for serving God alone, not for living for yourself. Thoughts on those, the big idea of the first two verses there? Thoughts or questions? It's pretty straightforward. A lot easier than what we were just in the last few weeks. So <laughs> it's refreshing for me, at least, to not have to give really long explanations. Diana. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. He holds on to us, doesn't he? Yeah. Yep. I got saved in high school, and I. It was a small uh, town where I'm from. I had the same friends from kindergarten all the way through because it's, yeah, a small place. And um, when I became a Christian, it's, well, lost my lifelong friends, you know, between my sophomore and junior years of high school, basically, and um, the only Christians in my high school were girls, it seems like, Uh, and well, that's not the most wonderful thing, you know, but there there we were, and uh, that's just the way it was, and um, yeah, the Lord... The Lord really can impress that on our hearts through the means of His people, through His Word, that the life that He has for us is better than the one that we had, even if that includes suffering of any degree. Other thoughts or questions so far? We're doing all right, hanging in there? Feeling a little tired? (laughs) Okay, maybe I can... Spice it up somehow. I'll, I'll dance while I teach or something. I don't know. All right. <clears throat> yeah, that, yeah, that could have just strange effects. All right, verse 3. So this is where uh, these statements in blue come from, starting in verse 3. He says that the past is sufficient in verse 3. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles. And then look, he lists six sins here. A course of sensuality, number one lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. So he's saying here that um, those are things that they used to do, obviously, but their past was more than enough time to live out those things. And so what he's doing is he's ruling out these excuses that people can come up with. Perhaps you've counseled people, uh, people that you weren't quite sure if they were saved or not, and you're counseling them, and They'll say silly things like, well, I never got to experience this in my life. And they feel like they need to go sow their wild oats or however they want to phrase that. Um, You know, I I never got to do this, that, or the other thing. I didn't get to experience it for myself. People will say the strangest things sometimes. I need to go experience that sin for myself so I know I don't want it. Peter's ruling out that idea here, isn't he? The time already passed is sufficient. You don't need to go make time for that. Or someone who might say, well, I wasn't that bad before I was a Christian. I wasn't that bad. I was pretty good. Well, Peter's also ruling out that idea, too. He's saying, in the time already passed, you were doing enough sins. You were, you were sinning, whether you recognize it or not. 
and you filled up that time sufficiently with your sins. And so he's ruling out all kinds of ideas and excuses that people might have, and he's pointing them to their past to teach them a better way. And he lists off these traits of the people that he calls Gentiles, which is pretty interesting. Why is that particularly interesting to find that word here in 1 Peter, the word Gentiles? <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah. Um, usually, you know, throughout the whole Bible, basically, you've got this bifurcation of two groups, Jews and Gentiles. Jews, people who are Hebrews, ethnic Israelites, and those who aren't, Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. Well, here he's saying those outside of Christ are Gentiles. That's a pretty interesting use of that word. It's pretty, I think it's unique to Peter. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty confident. He's saying that those outside of Christ are Gentiles, those who are the lost, those who reject the gospel. This is their way of life. And this was your former way of life. And he starts describing these things. And the first one there on the list, as you see, is sensuality, pursuing a course of sensuality. What this word means is unrestrained living. Unrestrained living. And I'm sure you can think of ways perhaps that you were that way in your past, and certainly you know people now who live unrestrained. Your direction in this state, your, your direction in life is basically just governed by your feelings. You just go about life and however you feel about this or that, well, that's just the way you go. And you don't really think about anything else except how you feel. That is sensuality. The next one there is similar, and you'll see how these are really closely related all the way through, but lusts. Lust is essentially unchecked passions. So you've got unrestrained living, and you've also got this idea of unchecked passions. Just living by lusts. These are our fallen and creaturely responses to things in the world. Um, the things that we desire, the things that we want for ourselves, the things that we're passionate about because they please us, the lusts of life. Remember uh, in 1 John, you've got the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Living by lusts, that's the idea there. And then the third one, we're pretty familiar with what this is and looks like, drunkenness. Uh, habitual intoxication, right, or, or other inebriations, you could say. Um, but habitual is certainly in view here because it's a way of life. That's the way it's being presented by Peter, habitual intoxication. And, of course, today I think there are more ways to reach that state than maybe, well, I shouldn't say than ever before. But it's certainly easier to access the things that you want to access to become some sort of inebriated, um, especially habitually. There are, um, I, I'm a millennial, so I watch a lot of YouTube. And uh, there are <clears throat> these certain channels I follow on YouTube. There are a lot of Christian channels and a lot of people who aren't Christians. There's a baseball channel I really like, and I uh, watch a lot of their stuff. And those guys are definitely not Christians. And quite often, they'll talk about how, uh, yeah, last night when 
I was wrapping up the game, and I definitely wasn't high, you know, and they'll go on. But now, especially with all the different forms of cannabis that there are out there, you know, that would fit into this category, that habitual type of intoxication and inebriation. So sensuality, lusts, drunkenness. We're in 1 Peter 4, verse 3, Lizzie. Uh, then the fourth one listed there is carousing. What do you guys got for that one? Huh? Carousing. That's not a word you've used this year, maybe. Carousing. <laughs> Melise. Okay. Does that help you with, the, <laughs> with understanding what it is? Uh, yeah, reveling is another word that it's like, I don't know when the last time was I used that on my own. Okay, yeah. Rabble-rousers? <laughs> yeah, that's a different... So we're on the fourth one, right after drunkenness. <laughs> you say carousing? Did you say carousing? No. Oh. Uh, okay, gotcha. What is that? New King James? King James? What is that? ESV, okay, gotcha. Well, that's interesting. Okay. ESV. Yeah, well, the, the word has an interesting history. This was kind of an interesting study. Because the word, it does mean a group of people. So that's the first thing to recognize. It means a group. And the word started out in, it was what we can tell in historical data, when a victor would come home from battle, he would have like his groupies. And they would come and they would go back into the city with them. Okay, uh, they would, he would have his little group. Well, then it evolved to mean a bad band of people. Because, you know, that, that band of people who usher a victor back home or whatever, that's not that bad. But eventually it became known as like, well, they're just rabble-rousers. Uh, or if you've been to Vegas or Bourbon Street or something, and you've got a group who's at a bachelor party or a bachelorette party, there they go down the street, and they're carousing, they're reveling. That sort of thing. It's that idea. There you go. That's absolutely it. Yeah. So, um, so I've got in my notes Bourbon Street packs uh, because I, I went uh, on a business trip. <laughs> I was on a business trip once in July in New Orleans in the French Quarter and. Uh, went to Bourbon Street, and that was a sight to behold. Um, and I think of that in my mind. I've been to Vegas a couple of times for business, too, and I've seen what it's like on the Strip. And I've told people that Bourbon Street is like you take all of Vegas, the bad parts of Vegas, and then jam it into like an eight-block, one-road strip, and that's it. I mean, it, and I, I thought it was worse than Vegas in a lot of ways. Um, and you would just see groups of people staggering about, you know, doing their thing, and they're carousing. That's what carousing is. So there's your picture for that. And again, the next, word, the next term is a lot like that one, drinking parties, okay? That one's pretty self-explanatory. There's no deep meaning on that, on that one. Parties where people are getting intoxicated, drinking parties. I see lots of commercials for uh, alcohol. Again, baseball, that's pretty much all I watch is Baseball or stuff related to baseball or Christian stuff. And uh, between innings on baseball, they're always showing at least one commercial for some kind of liquor. And like today, uh, oh, what was the line? I was going to try to remember the line for tonight, and I can't remember. Uh, it was some drink I'd never heard of, and the line was, make, remember, when, start today. 
I think it's something like that, kind of a creative little marketing line. But, but you've got people at the beach, and they're all having a great time. Cheers, do 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 And you know that you can have people get together and drink and it not be sinful. But you know when Peter's talking about your former way of life for these people, drinking parties, they were doing more than just drinking responsibly and having a couple of whatever. They were getting drunk. Those were drinking parties. And then finally is abominable or lawless idolatries. Yours might say lawless idolatries. And this isn't the golden calf type of idolatry. He's not talking about going to some sort of uh, totem pole or something like that. He's talking about just utter lawlessness. Even what the world would say is lawlessness, breaking the law, uh, going about and serving self in a way that has no regard for the law. So, Uh, You could sum it up with just that phrase, no regard for law. Whether that's God's law or the authorities that are in place, it doesn't matter. Just utter, abominable idolatry and lawlessness. So that's how he sums up their past life. Uh, Unrestrained sensuality. Uh, I I don't know if I meant to put sensuality there. I think I meant to put living. That's a better word. Unrestrained living, that was the definition of sensuality. You, don't, you never want to use the term in the definition. That's not helpful. Unrestrained living, unchecked passions, habitual intoxication, carousing, and no regard for the law. That's what he's saying. Look, you've done plenty of that, and uh, the past is more than enough for filling that up. And so that way of life is in your rearview mirror, Peter says. That's behind you. Your motivation now is just altogether different than it used to be. Because if we could say, well, what do all these things have in common? In fact, what does all sin have in common? Well, you're just paying attention to yourself. You're serving yourself. You've made yourself number one, and whatever you want to do, that's what you're going to do without regard for God or His commands. Peter's saying, now your motivation is the will of God, not the will of self. That's verse 2 again. He says, uh, No longer live for the lust of men, but, what's the contrast? Live for the will of God. That's what's set before them. And then he goes on after that, after talking about the sufficiency of the past, to talk about the surprise of these Gentiles, those who are not in Christ. In verse 4, after listing these off, he says, In all this, they, again talking about the lost, are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you or they slander you. Have you noticed that lost people count the life of Christians to be a strange thing? (laughs) Why are you here right now, right? Don't you know what's on TV? Don't you know what's going on down here at this place or that place? Why are you here? This is strange. And yeah, he says, don't be surprised uh, that they are surprised by the way that you live. And there's a promise associated with this when he says they're going to speak evil of you or they're going to malign you or slander you. And I remembered as I was uh, approaching this text, this is one of the first passages I remember really striking me as a Christian, especially being in high school. And you're reading these things, and it's like, okay, yep, I was dipping my toe into these things. And um, now I'm not doing those things, and my high school buddies are wondering, what's wrong with me? 
And so I broke out my first Bible. This is the Bible I mentioned on Sunday, that uh, new Spirit-filled life Bible. I've gotten it rebound so I could preserve it. Pages were falling out. But I went back to see my notes. This is the first Bible I ever wrote notes in. And so I went back to 1 Peter 4 to see what I wrote as a 16, 17, 18-year-old. And uh, I put in parentheses, or I kind of circled up the sins that are listed there, and I wrote, a lot of teenage sins. <laughs> and then I highlighted verse 4 where it says, they think it's strange that you do not run with them and they speak evil of you. And I wrote, they'll speak bad of us when we don't conform. That's a promise. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I kind of like sometimes going back and reading my notes from this Bible. It can be kind of scary sometimes to see what I wrote, but it's also interesting. Uh, but yeah, there's a sense of promise tied to that, that we will be maligned by the world because we're not conforming to their ways. Thus, uh, we have to just continually align our motives with the motives of Christ. That's uh, the call of verses 1 and 2. Arm yourselves with the same purpose as Christ. Don't escape persecution or seek to escape persecution through conformity with the world. But instead, press deeper into living for God, for the will of God. Thoughts or questions on verses 3 and 4 there? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. I, uh, boy, I'm again using a baseball uh, illustration. Didn't, wasn't planning on doing that, sorry. Uh, but... I was showing Melissa <clears throat> earlier this week a, uh, a video. My favorite team is the Cardinals, if you didn't know that. Near and dear to my heart. And uh, uh, there's a guy on the team who's been on the team for 15 years, and he is a very devoted Christian. And um, he has shared many stories, and other players have shared stories of how they've come to faith because of his testimony of working in their lives. And um, there was a guy on the team, he retired 10 years ago, but he was a real rough guy, real angry guy. And I was showing his testimony to Melissa because um, he came to faith through the witness of this other guy. And anyway, um, in all that, the start of his story of how he came to faith was he was invited by that Christian to go to his yearly fundraiser, some sort of Christian fundraiser that he does at his home in Atlanta. And every year, he says, he brings in a Christian speaker, and he invites all these players to come, and they think, well, they're going to go and shoot the breeze and play golf and go home. And he brings in a, a good gospel-preaching guy. And he says what typically happens is all these, all these players come who don't know the Lord, and they leave feeling convicted. And so then they go out and they sin even more uh, because they just have to get the, the holiness off of them, you know? <laughs> they were just around this preacher guy, and they got to go get that off uh, by going and doing... Probably these things right here, right? And, uh, and that's what happened to this guy who got saved that one year. Is he left and he said, I, I got to get away from there. He went out with some other guys and he ended up stranded somewhere in Georgia, an hour and a half away, had no idea where he was without, was, without his phone and everything else. And that was the beginning of the Lord getting a hold of his heart and, and drawing him in. But there is something to the, the whole, okay, I'm a Christian now, friends. Here's the message. And they just, ugh, they just really don't want to be around it. And 
undoubtedly Peter's readers were going through that very thing in their lives. And he says, keep going after Christ. It's worth it. It's worth it. Uh, but it's really easy to lose perspective in those types of situations when you're talking about friends and family who just think you're crazy and don't want anything to do with you. So. <laughs> right, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely right. Yeah, you start going to work and reading your Bible and the break room and stuff like that, and yeah, just subtle things like that, it gets the point across. So, Well, then uh, in verses 5 and 6, uh, we see the, the seriousness of the proclamation. So we've moved from, isn't this nice? I alliterated it. The sufficiency of the past, the surprise of the Gentiles, and the seriousness of the proclamation. And verse 5, he's talking about these people who are going to slander you. He says, but they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live according to the will of God. So uh, we see initially in verse 5, there's a certain reality for these non-Christians who are out speaking evil of Christians. What is their certain reality in verse 5? Yeah, they're going to be held accountable. Uh, Jesus said, every idle word that man speaks, he's going to have to give an account. Okay, so Peter's here saying, yeah, that's going to happen to them. So keep that in perspective, right? As, as they're chirping, they're over there flapping their gums bad about you. Remember, they will answer for that. They're not getting away with that, but God will hold them accountable. And the way that they've lived in their sin and rebellion against God, that must receive justice. It has to. There will be a judgment for them that they will face. This is their inescapable reality. He's going to judge all people. And notice it says, he's going to judge the living and the dead. Why do you think he emphasized living and dead? What's the, the reasoning behind that? It's kind of a tough one. You know, you look at that and you think, well, couldn't you just say all people? <laughs> like, what, what's the point? I think what he was saying here is uh, death is no escape. So you die before Jesus returns. You're still going to be judged, right? Death isn't a way out to get away from God's judgment. Uh, but if you're alive at the return of Christ or you've died at the return of Christ, he is coming back to judge both the living and the dead. Death is no escape. And so because of that fact, the church has a certain mission, and that's verse 6. Because this is true, that all people are going to be held accountable by King Jesus, the gospel for this purpose has been preached, even to those who are dead. The only way to escape the condemnation of God, the ultimate judgment of God, is through the gospel. It's the only way. Uh, Peter doesn't say here, they're going to give an account. So for this reason, someone must find a religion that works for them. <laughs> so that way they can be happy and be, uh, be a better person. That's not the solution, is it? What's the solution? The gospel, right? The gospel. It's not, uh, these people have to get therapy. Nope. 
these people need the gospel. It's the only way to escape the judgment, ultimate judgment of God. So the church's mission is to get the gospel out to the world, right? That's our great commission, is to get the gospel to the world. And this is the message that calls people to prepare themselves to meet their creator. That's what we're doing in the gospel. We're calling people to prepare for this judge to whom they have to give an account. We're not saying, you know, hey, try out Jesus. He'll make your life better. He'll make your life happier and give you a sense of belonging. Now, all of those things you might say on the other side of salvation might be true. But that's not our ultimate call, is it? Our ultimate call is you are a sinner and God is a judge. We've, we've got to think about this. And there's one way of escaping the condemnation that's owed you by trusting in the one who took on the condemnation of God, the penalty for your sin, Jesus Christ. Because no one can escape justice. Justice will be served one way or another. It's not that you're escaping justice. Either Jesus has received your justice or you are going to receive your justice. And so we're calling people to take that into account because God is judge. And then Peter gives us an example. He says, okay, for this purpose, the gospel's gone out, even to those who are dead. Now, wait a second. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we, were, we were tracking with them in verse 6. Yes, the church, we're to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, even to those who are dead. What on earth does that mean? So, you guys got any thoughts on that? Yeah, could you read your translation, the ESV? Okay. Yeah, the ESV did a little bit of interpreting in their translating, so that makes it easier on the reader. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And then that's, that's the solution here, right? Is It's not that um, people have died and now they get a second chance. Because what does the Bible teach? Hebrews 9.27 for it is appointed for man once to die, and then comes judgment. Okay? Once to die, and then comes judgment. So the phrasing here can be a bit awkward depending on what translation you have. But he's saying, yeah, the gospel has gone out to those a generation ago, essentially, those who are now dead. The gospel had gone out to them. Though they were judged in the flesh by their fellow man and they did suffer physical death, they were not condemned by God. He says, the gospel went out to them, and though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. So they are presently judged in the flesh as men. So people look around and say, oh yeah, those Christians, they believed, but look at them, they're in the grave just like everybody else, right? They suffered physical death just like everybody else. What did they escape? Well, what does it go on to say? They live in the Spirit according to the will of God. They are alive in the spiritual realm, okay, and they are in the presence of their Creator, serving Him. And so Peter's saying in all of this, reject the way of the world and live for God. Consider this life rightly, that we're to live for Him. And this harkens back to chapter 1. Turn back just a page or two. Chapter 1, verse 13, verses 13 through 15. Peter wrote to them at the start of the letter, Therefore, prepare your minds for action. 
Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in ignorance. There's the same theme, right? But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Those lusts, those are former lusts. Leave them as former lusts. Don't make them present lusts. You shall be holy for the one who called you is holy. Do the will of God in this life. Pursue holiness because he has called you as children. Okay? Good? Any other remarks regarding the first part of chapter 4? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the difference is for the Christian, it's a promotion, right? Paul says it's far better to depart and be with Christ. Yep, absolutely. And you see where he's going, and we'll start here next week, or two weeks from now. We're not going to meet next week. But verse 7, the end of all things is near. (laughs) And so he's putting our minds on the reality of the coming judge, and we need to live in light of that reality. It's It's so easy for us to forget this to set aside the notion of God as judge and God as imminent judge. The end of all things is near. That's his, that's his tone. And it's so easy for us to think it's far off, but we're, we're fooling ourselves if we do that. We have to live as though it's tomorrow. That's how we're called to, to live, okay? Well, we have a little bit of time. I watched uh, something interesting yesterday. It's satire. Do you guys like satire? Or are you offended by satire? I'll show you either way, but I just thought I'd, have, <laughs> thought I'd know what kind of, <laughs> what I'd be dealing with. Let me move this. Let me go pull that up. I, I saw it and I thought, hey, that'd be, that might be good to show you guys, so we'll, we'll do it. Just give me a minute. <clears throat>